Hello, this is David Brim, and I'm the founder of Orlando Entrepreneurs. We are the hub for Orlando entrepreneurship, and our mission is to connect, cultivate, and celebrate our local entrepreneurs. We bring together our local entrepreneurial ecosystem to help impact our entrepreneurs, their companies, and our local economy. Learn more at orlandoentrepreneurs.org. Now over to Josh Wilson to get forward with our show. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Orlando Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh. I'm an entrepreneur. I travel around having conversations with entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders, and those who support the entrepreneurial community. On today's show, we're going to have an interesting conversation with a, an entrepreneur, a founder, and who helps support a lot of other entrepreneurs. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Matt Serto, the CEO of Find Some and Win More. Welcome to the show. Josh, thank you for having me. Did I say that right? Yes, you okay. did. You got it. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I'd be happy to. And uh, first of all, let me say I'm glad to be here and a uh, fan of your show. And uh, I look down the list of people you've had, and, uh, and you have a really strong list of people that have, have uh, including your daughter, Yeah. that have been guests on your show. So very esteemed uh, company. So yeah. thank you. So my my background, really, and who I, who I am, what I do... Uh, I have a marketing agency, Find Some and Win More. We're about 25 people uh, here in Winter Park, Florida. So we primarily service the Florida, Central Florida, Southeast region. And uh, we, we help clients find and win new customers. And what that looks like for us oftentimes is uh, helping with marketing strategy, with brand strategy, with their marketing materials, website development, which is really how I got my start, ironically, 25 years ago, was in website development search marketing, social, we really help them blend that all together to help them find their unique brand position and help them tell that story to the market. Got it. So you said you've been doing this for about 25 years. Yes. Uh, kind of tell us the story of this. Yes. Uh, we, we talked about this. I, I started my company when I was 19. So I was a student at Rollins College and the year was 1995. And we just, as a campus, got the, the internet, okay? So that's gonna date me a little bit, but they just were literally putting the wires in the ground that carried data to the college. And as a kid who grew up loving technology and loving gadgets, I was like, what is this thing? And first week of school, I had a demonstration of what the internet was. They showed us what email was, they showed us the web, and there really wasn't much to show at that point, but I was just intrigued. and. I figured out what a website was. I learned uh, that wasn't a very popular thing at the time. And I realized that Rollins did not have a website. And noticed that other schools that we competed with in the area had websites. And so I said, well, I really think we should have a website and started knocking on doors and ultimately got to the provost's office. And the provost said, actually, we're trying to solve that problem. We don't know how to solve it. Do you know how to build a web page? And I kind of sheepishly nodded and said, yeah, I think so. I, the, the reality was I really didn't know, but I, I knew I could figure it out. Yeah. I just knew I loved computers. I loved uh, modems. I loved that, that inner, inner uh, telephonic communication between devices, you know, the fax machine. All that stuff just still fascinates me how it works. And so he walked me across to the alumni office who had a little budget to fund uh, projects. And the alumni office funded me for a summer to build the college's first website. And I was just thrilled because like the previous summer, I was, I think, washing dishes at Red Lobster or renting videos. So this was a chance to get out of, you know, slinging cocktail sauce, you know, in the kitchen. So it was a, it was a fun project and uh, really enabled me to, to learn and get my start in all this. So when you, when you kind of discovered what their budget was, what, what was the budget for a 
per website in 1995. So they paid me the summer. They paid me four thousand dollars. Wow, that's yes, great. Yes, absolutely. And uh, as a college kid, that was that was fantastic. That that's was a, a lot of pile of money. Of, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, you yeah. know, but you're right. You're exactly right. Wow. So so then you had to actually go figure out how to do it. Yes, and um, and and I had I'd been digging into it a little bit. I hadn't done it before, but that was I, most people at that time hadn't done it. So and there weren't classes you could take. You know, Rollins didn't have a class on web page development. I don't think many colleges did because right. uh, it was so new. And so that was sort of how I got my start and how I got, got rolling. And as I did it, and there was a sort of story that some kid was building web pages. I had little uh, small companies were asking me to help them. My dad was introducing me to his friends who had small businesses. And I started doing those out of my dorm room. That was what I, I did. I just, uh, and I kept working on the Rollins web page, but I started... Uh, started building sites for for other people, um, you know, in my dorm room. Wow. Well, okay. What kind of computer was there back in 1995? So I was a a huge fan of gateway computers. I don't know if you remember the yeah. gateway computers, Absolutely. they had the big cow motif on their on their boxes, and so that was I thought those were the best. And then uh, then ultimately Dell became uh, became the computer of choice for me, especially when I learned that Michael Dell started his company out of a dorm room. I don't know if you heard that story, yeah. but that's how he started Dell. And so became a big fan of, of Dell. And then today I'm all Apple. So, uh, the, our whole agency is Apple, but, but, uh, that's how I got my, so my, your dad was kind of like your referral partner. He kept on bringing you more and more friends and businesses. So, yes. so is this something that like it kind of, you found your path into this and, and that's what you started doing during college and after college or, or what yes. happened there? So through college, this became, um, what I did. It was, it was sort of my, in addition to school, this is sort of an extracurricular activity. I had other things I was involved with, but, uh, I was a basketball player. My first year I played at Rollins, uh, got to realize that I was not going to the NBA. Uh, that became clear. So I said, I've got to figure out another path in life. I love the game still. But I wanted to do something else with my energy and my time, and I was just drawn to this technology, and and uh, so that's that's kind of how I started. Yeah. Now you had kind of a pretty successful kickstart in the internet, but uh, a couple years later there was uh, you know a big industry crash in the dot com bust, yes, right? Yes. So tell us right before that happened, you know, where were you at in terms of business, in terms of like your progress and and your your business growth? Where were you at right before the bust? interesting so there was a at that time there was this big push that every traditional company had to become an e-commerce company and sort of add com to the end of their name and instead of being a traditional business they were going to be a an online business an e-commerce business and a lot of these companies if you think about it you know there was a pets.com um you, you know where you would just buy stuff for your pet and then there was a a, a you know, uh, a separate company for um, dealing with sporting goods, and today we—that's all consolidated into Amazon now. Like, we, but there was a time when there was a, a thesis that every little niche was going to have its its own little e-commerce site, and the market couldn't support them all. A lot of these companies crashed. What I realized, though, that I happened to be in the blue jeans and pickaxes industry, okay, as opposed to the gold rush. So I was not really, I was selling blue jeans to, and, and pickaxes, the people that were going on the gold rush, I was not going for the gold. So, um, and if that metaphor makes sense, 
I was in a lower risk area. I wasn't necessarily building this big online platform. I was servicing. And so I, I could expand and contract as the market did. But it was not a fun time. It was not a, it was not a fun time uh, for traditional businesses or online businesses who just, you know, you know were dealing not only with uh, the, the, the crash of their businesses, but the crash of the market. So Yeah. So how, how did that impact you? So you, in, you gave a great metaphor, selling you know, blue jeans and pickaxes. Right. Could, you, could you kind of explain like, how that metaphor fits into this story? Sure. So uh, the, the metaphor really was that um, when the gold rush was happening, the people who made all the money were those that were selling the pickaxes and the blue jeans. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's why Levi Strauss to this day is so successful. Right. They were, you know, and Mr. Strauss, I believe, was, was at the heart of that. And I liken that to what I was doing. I was selling the tools for people to go chase the gold as opposed to chasing the gold myself. Chasing the gold. I wasn't smart enough to know that's what I was doing at the time, but it just sort of, in retrospect, seemed to work out that way. Yeah. So let's kind of compare these two different business models. One is, you know, selling selling services to those who are, you know, going and, and winning or hunting for gold, right? Going for the, mm-hmm. the big IPOs or the big sale right. or, or whatever, which are, you know, more capital intensive versus the, the ones who support them. Could you uh, share, because you, before we hit record, you were kind of giving me some really great golden nuggets about um, the service-based industry is a great business to start up because of its capital or less capital intensive. Could you kind of uh, share your insights on that? Sure, and and this is sort of this ties a little bit into the investment community because you know really we're in a service business where we tell we sell time and it's a it's a higher margin business right and when you're selling an hour and you're paying something for it and you're selling it for a price that hopefully is more than you're 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 paying for it you have a built-in margin there. Um, the problem with the service business it's not terribly scalable, you know you you can't uh, scale a a a professional services business the same way you might be able to scale a products business. And so a services business is not as attractive to the investment community because they don't see any sort of hockey stick chart where they're going to get this huge return. Uh, the, the, the counter to that, let's say, is a software platform where you build a piece of software, it's built, and maybe you have 20 employees who are running this piece of software but you can add customers and customers and customers without adding more people. And that is very attractive to the investment community because they think, if I have this product, I have research and development, I don't have a lot of employees, and I can sell as many licenses as I want. And that is very attractive to the investment community because they do see that hockey stick return. The problem is it's very speculative. It's, 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 you've got to have investment capital in the beginning. You can't really, you, you have to invest a lot into something that you don't know is going to work. And so uh, more of those companies fail than work. So it's a, it's a, it's a higher risk business, but also the rewards are, are, are potentially higher too. Yeah. And it's, a, it's more capital intensive to actually get into building yes. a software company and growing that versus maybe a service-based industry, which right. you could grow and scale. The more customers you take on, the more employees you could go. Um, throughout this time, you went through a few different cycles, mm-hmm. right? So after the dot-com started to recover, you started to you know, do more and more. How did you know? How did you determine whether to stick with service-based or to try to do something else? Sure. Well, I think from time to time we have been involved in different things that were potentially more scalable. We've been investors in things that uh, where we and this is this is this happened where uh, uh, in that period of time where people would ask you to take equity as opposed to cash for your for your effort to build their projects. So if you're sure. building a website, 
hey, instead of paying you X, I'm going to give you some equity. So we actually dabbled in some of those those projects, and uh, um, you know, no no huge um, you know uh, successes out of that, but they were interesting to learn and go through that process. When um, but I, the, the reality is, I got to see so many cool ideas. Uh, it was such a, an interesting time to see people um, bring these new ideas to life that they wanted to to take to the internet. So yeah. So how do you determine, so if someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I want you to, you know, I want you to help us with our product launch and product development, mm -hmm. and we want you to kind of be in charge of the marketing and we'll sure. build the product, but we'll give you some equity. Like, sure. how do you determine if it's worth it or not for you? Well, I think you, you have to look at it like you would invest in anything. You're investing time and resources, and, we, and, and I say this because we don't do this. You know, it's happened in our past, but it's not something I'd rather invest separately as if I'm going to invest in something using cash than with service and time, just because even though I can, I can provide a service in kind, I still have to pay people that are providing that service, so yeah. that that doesn't really doesn't really add up. But I, I the way, the lens that I used to look at it through is if you were investing in this business, what would you look for? You'd look for, you know, high return, manageable risk, um, some level of liquidity, uh, some horizon that you could actually see, <laughs> so that it's not a you know a ten year lockup period. But unfortunately, a lot of those concepts are very very speculative and risky, so you really don't know. No matter how good the idea is, right. you, you don't know. Got it. All right. So it, you weren't always find someone win more, right? right. That kind of evolved right. through your time of building. Kind of talk to us about the evolution of your business and how it became what it is today. Sure. So the original name of the business was Web Solvers, and we carried that name for probably 19 years and was focused purely on web development. And at that time, here I was this kid who was building web pages, uh, and that's all I was doing. I would have ad agencies come to me and say, hey, we don't really want to provide that service. We'd like for you to come meet with our client, provide that service, and I would do that. And so I had a lot of great agency friends who would use our web services to serve their clients. At one point or at some point, they started to provide that service themselves. I was no longer a friend to them. Uh, I was a competitor. And I started to, to think to myself, I need to get into... Uh, their business if they're going to get into our business. So it, it actually was a natural fit because web became so big, digital became so big that um, that having the, the, the roots and being a digital agency helped us to uh, to, to, to carry clients forward uh, into the brand marketing, the digital, the digital media uh, realm. Uh, we were uniquely positioned to do that. So uh, we rebranded the firm to find someone win more um, about six years ago, five or six years ago. We changed the name and gave ourselves a broader, uh, uh, I guess, platform to, to do more than web. And so today, uh, web is, is, a, is, a, is a smaller portion of our business, still a large part of our business, but, but uh, certainly not the largest. Got it. So what, is your, what would you say is your, your core business at Find Some and Win More? So our core business is brand marketing and communications. And so that's a, that's a pretty big umbrella but helping clients understand their brand message, brand story from the bottom up. And when we say the, the, the bottom up, what we really mean is the core of their business. What do they really value? What do they stand for? What makes them different? What is their unique story to tell to the marketplace? Um, what's the culture of the organization? Helping to, to codify all those, those elements for them 
so that their brand identity actually resonates and, it, and holds true to who they are. Um, so if I'm a restaurant and I really espouse that I've got the best food, um, then, then they really need to stand for that. The, the culture of the organization needs to, to personify that to customers. The experience has to hold true. Um, the pedigree of those preparing the food needs to be distinctive and distinguished and to be highlighted. So we really help them dig deep and then build the veneer around that that, that actually tells the right story. So that's, that's the color palette, that's the, the font selections, that's the, the logos, those are the flourishes which, with the brand that we bring to the table. Uh, that's the fun part. Um, it's all fun, but that's, that's the core of business is helping them understand who they are, helping them to tell that story in the marketplace to, as many, to, to the right people as many of those people as possible. Do you think that truly makes a difference in, in the marketplace rather than just like paying someone, you know, a freelancer or something to build a website? Like, do you think that this whole codified story, like packaged and, and sharing their culture and, and, and all their belief systems and their values, do you think that truly matters in, in marketing today? Absolutely. You know, 100%. I think especially today when when buyers are so conscious of values, their own values and how those relate to brand stories or what they want, I think if you don't dig deep, you don't have a firm brand position upon which you can tell your story or communicate. So a company like Patagonia comes to mind because um, they've really become less about clothing and more about improving the environment. They just happen to sell, the, sell clothing. And so they, they end up attracting a, an audience and a customer base that shares those values. And, and ultimately, they, they, they happen to make great clothing and, and they have great products, but they, they make unique choices um, to, to, to shine in the marketplace and really be different. And ultimately, I think consumers want brands and products that fit who they are and, and what they're trying to do with their lives evermore. And, and in many cases, um, marketing is not so much about the logo and the colors as it is about the product. And we encounter people that, and, and companies that the product really needs to be improved before you start promoting it. And that could be the, the product delivery, it could be the service delivery, the, 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 the entire experience that's, that's delivered to a customer. And so our work often is not so much on the outside, it's, hey, you have, you, your food might taste good, I'm using the restaurant metaphor, Sure, but your reviews are terrible. And so when someone's traveling here, we all look at reviews. Well, why are your reviews so bad? And usually reviews are bad because something's wrong in the experience. So being that outside voice to help them see those things, we do a lot of mystery shopping. So we will go shop places before we before we work with a client or meet with them to understand what's going on. And that puts us in a better position to help them. Um, so it's not just building someone a website. It's really helping them grow their business. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you do for a situation where there's, a, so a lot of our listeners are startups, sure. right? So they're just, they, they have an idea and they're just starting to create that. Like what advice do you have for them? Because they might not have the, the you know, I'm going to save the universe or I'm going to make the, you know, right. uh, you know, like Patagonia does or, sure. you know, like what advice do you have for them so they could stand out in the marketplace? Well, I think the, 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 Something I heard Mark Zuckerberg say recently resonated with me, which was figure out, before you start building a company or a product, figure out what the problem you're trying to solve really is. You know, and, and that is, that could be a, a, a very 
long endeavor to figure out exactly what problem you want to solve, mm-hmm. right? And um, w- once you do, you know, you arrive at the right question. And then building the solution to that based upon your hypothesis or your thesis sort of flows naturally. Um, so that's one element of it. But to, to a would-be entrepreneur, I would also say, what business are you actually in? What is it that you're really delivering? You're selling a product, but people actually buy that product for a reason. So an old adage is people don't buy a drill, they buy a hole in the wall. And you could take that one step further and say, I'm not really buying a hole in the wall, I'm buying a picture frame that hangs in the, the hole where I drilled a screw. And you take that one step further, I'm buying a better room. I'm buying a better environment. Take one step further, I'm buying a better place and environment for my family and to, to connect and enjoy one another. So a company that sells a drill needs to really think long and hard about what are they actually in the business of doing beyond the utility they provide. Yeah. Like I'd buy a drill to make my wife happy because she wants pictures on the wall well, of our kids, right? Exactly. So taking that, that one step further of whose problem are you really solving? I don't want my wife to nag me, so I'll go buy the freaking <laughs> drill, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you're buying time because maybe you want to get your work done in the morning that your wife, or your wife might have for you so you can watch the game in the afternoon or go play golf or whatever it is that you like to do. So you're buying convenience, you know. I don't know if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk. He talks a lot about how how Uber is really not in the transportation business; they're in the convenience business. They sell time, you know. So, thinking about what dimension you really want to take with your startup, I think is what I would encourage people to. What what business do you really want to be in? And that's the fun part because you can you can dream, you can um, you can explore creatively what you ultimately want to be about, and that's that's a fun. Um, there's an old Mad Men episode where they, do you remember the, the slide um, projectors that you would put yeah. pictures in show vacation? There's this very powerful scene where Don Draper talks about, you know, Kodak calls it the wheel. But he shows this very powerful presentation where he turns the lights off and he starts talking about his, um, uh, he has his family pictures that he's showing the Kodak executives in their product. And the music comes on and the pictures start going through and it's him as a kid, it's his kids, it's his wife, it's his wedding pictures. And he says, you're actually selling a time travel device. It goes backwards and forwards and we travel round and around like kids do. And so this is not a wheel, it's a carousel. Wow. <laughs> and the whole room just, you know, just falls apart. And it was kind of case closed, they, they get the business. So, um, so that's the kind of exploration that we should all be thinking about doing with our with our product. And I love Mad Men, so. Do you dress up like Don Draper when you go to your clients? <laughs> there's no, there's, I should say no, not, there's very little alcohol in our office, yeah. <laughs> but not quite to the extent. And no, yeah. I don't, I don't dress up like Don. And I, I don't, I don't advise that we follow Don's life path. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it, it, that, that such a great lesson there is, is it's taking beyond just what you're selling. And it's, you know, like Simon Sinek, he said, like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it gets right. more into the human, mo- deep human motivations. Um, do you think that there's products that that doesn't work for? Like, you know, toothpaste, for example, or, or a bottle of water. Do you think, you know, do you think there's meaning in a toothpick, for example? 
It's a great question. That's that's a great. This is why agencies exist, yeah. right? Is to is to help people with with challenges like this. Um, those we would call commodity um, commodity products. Yeah. And I remember when I first got in this business, I was building web pages for an agency guy, and he's very smart. And he was working <laughs> he was working for TG Lee at the time. And you remember we all grew up on TG Lee, you know, yeah. and yet TG Lee was competing against Publix, you know, and their generic milk. And he was just scratching his head and he said, how do I sell branded milk? <laughs> He's like, what, how do I justify that this milk should cost more than, than the generic version? And it's a very, it's a tough challenge. Um, but ultimately, every brand ought to figure out how they're different. And that, that's, a, that's really kind of a, a, a pillar of strategy overall is, you know, strategy is about making choices. Um, Michael Porter at Harvard, who I've read, read what I can understand. Yeah. He's written a lot. But strategy is ultimately about diff- being different. And if you, if you boil your, your strategy down to this idea of being different, that's what he boiled, boiled strategy down to, it forces you to say, what, how am I factually different than someone else? And oftentimes, strategy is about choosing what not to do. It's easy to, to say I'm going to do one thing or the other, but it's harder to say I'm not going to sell this anymore. You think about Steve Jobs and he comes back into Apple. They have all these products and he, and he says, I'm getting rid of all these and all of our products will fit on one table. So he put all the products that he wanted to sell on one table and, and ultimately you know, shrunk the ring around what they were going to do. So we're choosing not to do this other stuff. We're going to focus here. Mm. So choosing what not to do. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. So you've written you've written a few books. Could you yes. tell us a little bit about your, your writing? So I'm I'm very passionate about writing. Um, my father is is I'm very proud of him. He's and not only did he help me connect with people, but was sort of a business coach. He uh, was dean of the Crummer Business School, professor there for recently retired, probably I think thirty years. He taught, um, and so writing is kind of in my blood. And so I, I really like to 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 write. Um, to reflect on what I'm learning and what I'm seeing in the marketplace. And so the most recent book is a book called Formulaic. And, uh, and the subtitle is How Thriving Brands Market from the Core. And so by core, we mean values. We mean um, those foundational pillars of why you exist and challenging, uh, challenging brands to do that and to think about those things. And uh, that book is also the methodology for our agency. So we, um, the, the formula part of Formulaic is to break down elements of a brand story into different pieces. So um, it might be points of differentiation, back to how are you factually different. You can see on that whiteboard in there, we'll take a brand and write down from the outside how they're really, truly different. Uh, We'll talk about brand storytelling, uh, because storytelling has much more of an impact than than facts. It's scientifically proven. When I tell you a story, you tell me a story. Oxytocin is released in my brain. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel closer to you, Josh. You might want to stay away. You know? Yeah, I've got a <laughs> so, story to tell you. So, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. But but we connect when we tell stories. And so I know that sounds a little overdone. But when when brands tell stories, brands have personas. They have personalities. They help to connect. They help to connect with their consumers, as opposed to just showing them a PowerPoint with here's five facts about how we're better. Let me tell you a story about how our product improves someone's lives. That's why farmers insurance, if you see those, yeah. those, those are actual stories that, that they had to insure. So that water heater that goes to, to the two-story house 
I don't know if you've seen that one. It flies out. It was overpressurized and went through the roof across the street, a water heater in someone's house. My friend's a home builder. I was like, can that really happen? He goes, yes, it can. If you, if you don't tune that, you know, if you don't depressurize that water heater in a certain way, it will pressurize and pop right through your roof. So um, anyway, back to formulaic. That's what we help them explore. What are the true stories of how your product helps people uh, and improves their lives? Okay. So you've, you've created a methodology, mm-hmm. and you, you kind of wrapped it up in, in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do people find that book? Oh, so you can, you can go to formulaicthebook.com. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can uh, buy a paperback version, or uh, there's a Kindle version also. And uh, our clients, we, we give these books to. We have plenty of them around. And, and uh, anybody who wants one of those books, you know, we, we try and get one in their hands. Um, so uh, it's just it's fun for our clients. Uh, you know, I was just one with one this morning where we were going through the methodology and how it was going to impact their company. Uh, and so it's gratifying when people actually read it. You know, it's 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 fun to reflect on it. So. Yeah, they appreciate your art. Yeah, yes, and it is art. That's my art. I can't draw, but I can I can write and I can reflect. And so that's um, that's you're right. It's it's this. I think this agency is one big art project, actually. That's pretty cool to yeah. look at it like that. Yeah. What kind of problems do you like solving? So like the kind of customers like give me give me an example of a of a kind of customer that if they walk through the door right now and be like. Matt, we need help. Like, what would that look like? Um, I think it's probably like when I when I go to like I, I play golf not very well, but I've got a guy who helps me with my swing, and he's seen so many golf swings. He's like, you, it's so easy for him to see because he sees the patterns. He knows what I do wrong. He's like, you're doing this again. You just you need to. So to me, I feel like I've seen so many people walk through the doors that it's easy for me to see what the problem is. Like one this morning, they have a really bad name for the company. Very successful. A company, but um, the name itself—it's not a bad name. It just doesn't fit. Uh, they made the name work, but they—they're looking at the name, going, "We might want to, you know, we might want to evolve this name a little bit. We might want to change it completely." Um, so I think those—I think it's the diagnosis that I like. When you said what problem, I think it's the diagnosis that I actually enjoy the most, which is they're doing really well, um, but their website is not mobile friendly, and that's that they should really, you know, look at that or. Um, if this medical office had a video, I think that they would do a whole lot better because they would give people, if they're looking at their competitors, they've got videos. So, so I think it's the diagnosis actually that I, that I like um, the, the most. That you like the, the most yeah. about it? And then the problem solving comes from there. If they agree that we've got the right problem. And they're willing to pay for it. Exactly, <laughs> right? yeah. And, and, and um, then, then, then working on it together is, is fun. Okay, so let, let's just say they come in, and let's just say it's a, uh, a name or a brand issue, right? And you're going to rebrand. So this is a lot of times people, you know, they get started because they found a cheap domain. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've literally talked with companies, and they're like, hey, how'd you choose your name? We found a cheap domain. I was like, okay, great. Right, right. So like if, if they want to rebrand, and they, now they start to have meaning behind it, they, the core values, and they're bringing out all these things, how do you go about rebranding a company that's already existing, already has customers, seems to be doing okay? Sure. But you believe that the brand is the thing that's they're stealing. Well, I think oftentimes it is maybe the name's fine, but they just um, we see a lot of, of startup companies that that sort of do their own logo, for example, when they just kind of on the side, or they've got a friend who did it, and and it the logo itself kind of looks homemade, 
Um, I did my own first logo, so I, you know, I get that. You know, that's how a lot of people start, and we all have graphic design tools now on your phone that you could create a logo. Yeah, I just made one. Yeah, it, yeah, it looks it, terrible. Is that your smile? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's horrible. And, and and so um, the first thing I would um, I, I would say, and it, I had a story this weekend. Someone was opening a business and has six logos, and she sent these six logos to my friend to say, hey, what do you think of these six logos? And she said, I don't know. I'm with a guy that could probably, so I look at these logos and I'm like, well, what is the business about? You know, what are they, what are, what, because it doesn't seem to fit. They're targeting a female audience with this, but yet these fonts are kind of masculine. Um, the colors are kind of masculine. The name is kind of masculine. So, so it didn't really fit. We're, we're, yeah, so I think it's, it's helping them unpack what the um, where they might want to evolve their brand to go, um, and so from that homemade position, going to a place where they say, "Okay, we got this thing off the ground. We have a logo that has worked, but now let's 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 build a brand that seems to fit." And um, uh, we have a a company, uh, a client, um, um, Fairchild Resiliency Systems, big software company that's uh, that's been growing um, out of Boston. And they had sort of a homemade brand look, and they're they're growing like wildfire, but they wanted to take their brand to the next level. So over the past year and a half, we helped them to kind of get into a better position. They felt more proud of their brand, their apparel, all those things. It was just their time, their natural time to to get their brand in order, um, because at places like trade shows, they go to a lot of trade shows. They just didn't feel like they looked the part, and that sometimes is is important, um, of course, that you want. You want to feel the part and look the part, and you want your prospects to look at your your materials and say they, they, they obviously look like they have it together. Hmm. So it, with evolving your brand, right, and kind of growing as your customer base grows, like what are some things to look for if if you feel like um, you're not evolving? Like how, how, do you, how do you diagnose it? So people listening in the audience, how do you diagnose your brand to see if it's, if it's stagnant? Well, I think, and this is an interesting question because, you know, from the inside, a lot of times clients and marketing, uh, marketers, they become, they think their brand is stale because they've been looking at it. They're the ones who look at it the most closely, right? Uh, and oftentimes they have this urge to do something different. And a lot of times that's exactly when you don't want to because to your customers, they're just getting used to seeing it. Um, there are times when there's just a feeling, whether it's the the look of the brand materials or the lack of consistency, because that's a big problem that people have. They got four or five different versions of their logos. They've they've got um, a lack of brand standards in house, so everybody's using different typefaces and different templates, and it just kind of looks like a mess. That's oftentimes a very good time to say, hey. We need to we need to get our arms around this brand overall, and that leads them to a place to say, "What well, does this color palette really work? Is this does this set of typefaces really work?" Um, so a lot of times, is that also, um, and this is kind of a another dimension, asking customers and for their honest feedback uh, about about your brand elements um, is is some of the best advice you can get. But you, the trick to that is you can't say, "What do you think?" Because people are reluctant to give an honest opinion, 
the trick is to say, what could we improve about this? What, what element, aspect of this could we be doing better in your opinion? So it kind of opens them up to give you some constructive feedback as opposed to feeling like they're going to hurt your feelings. Yeah. And you probably shouldn't ask grandma, like, hey, grandma, do you like our, you know, because she's not a paying customer. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's like an entrepreneurship in general. You know, I, I, everybody I've talked to said this is going to be a home run. Have you heard that before? Yeah. yeah everybody I've talked to, you know, because so, I think people will talk to their friends and say, here's my business idea. What do you think? Like, it's great. Yeah. I think the key question is, what could go wrong here? Yeah. You know, that's, I, I, you know. And would you pay for it? Yeah. So Andy Grove wrote a book, founder of Intel, Only the Paranoid Survive. And that was his, that was his sort of thesis or premise is what's, what, you know, what's, what's about to hit me um, that I don't see. And I heard in a meeting the other day, someone said that the bullet that kills you is one that you never see. <laughs> so oh, wow. it's, yeah, think about that. Yeah. That, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, we got to look out. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, here at your business, you're growing it. Give give us an idea of the the size of your business and uh, what you see the future of your business. Sure. So we're we're about 25 folks now. Um, I think over the next few years, I see that going to 35 or 40, uh, depending on workload, depending on capacity, um, and and you never know what the market's going to do. So we're very, you know, we are very um, hyper aware of metrics in our business, metrics in our in our industry, metrics in our community. We we try and keep tabs on where things are going to the degree that you know it's like predicting weather though right you don't you don't know what black swan events are out there right now it feels like everybody i should hesitate to say this but it feels like everybody is 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 on a growth path and but at the same time we all know that can't last forever so you have to be conscious of that so we look to grow in headcount we look to grow in client relationships um complexity of services or or number of services but also um you know, as you grow, you're, you also become not a fit for certain clients um, as a result of that, um, or vice versa. So, uh, you know, so we're 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 always watching those metrics, but we're like like any probably um, ambitious small business. You know, we're always looking to 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 pump oxygen in this business. Yeah, you mentioned uh, maybe outgrowing a customer. What's right. that mean? Sure. So. I think there are cases when when um, when agencies or any business can outgrow a customer because they're they're uh, the the need is 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 smaller than what the offering is, and so um, so we have we have uh, teams that we put on on client accounts, right? So our largest client needs probably five to seven people on a team, and you know at varying degrees of time. So then you become a company that operates in teams and that's your framework and how you operate and that first client that you that I served out of a dorm room um, they may not need all of that and so um, whereas in the beginning I was the person doing all the work to, you know servicing the account everything as a one-person shop um, they may not need the layers of service that we now offer so um, so that's essentially how that that goes got it awesome yeah so uh, you, you mentioned a lot of books that you read uh, that you've actually written. Uh, do you have any more in the in the future to write? Yes, you know, it's, I've, I've been thinking about twenty five years and 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 less about marketing and technology, but more about running a business. Um, the, the the lessons I've learned. Yeah. And uh, s- some of the 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 things that the mistakes I've made. I think where 
you go, man, I wish somebody would have told me that. And uh, <laughs> you, well, you can will only you share some of those like on the on the show right now. Can you yeah, share? like with deepest darkest darkest secret. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean like the the story that always comes to mind is when I was when I was when I hired my first employee, and uh, I had this small office in Winter Park, and I got a knock on the door. I'll never forget it. And um, and I opened the door for the guy, and he's a, he's a gentleman. He's got a white shirt on, um, black tie. And he just says, uh, hey, um, hands me his card. I want to introduce myself. And I look at his card. It says Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay. And so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like 22, I think, 23. And I was like, nice nice to meet you, you know? Like, it really wasn't. I was a little, a little nervous. And he said, uh, um, you have a nice business here. I said, do you want a website? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> he said, um, uh, why haven't you paid any payroll taxes? And I was like, you know, it's like my heart sunk. I'm like, uh, what are payroll taxes? So I hadn't made a payroll tax deposit. And that was, I think, the first four weeks of having an employee. And so I very quickly figured out what a payroll tax deposit was and made sure that happened through the bank and everything else and never missed one since. But that's the kind of moment where no one really teaches you that. I mean, you learn on the fly. You learn, for example, that just because you send an invoice doesn't mean you're going to get paid. Yeah, that doesn't mean money in the bank, right? Yes. So it sounds pretty simple, you know, now, because I know you're an entrepreneur and you've, you've dealt with that. Yeah. Um, I, had a, I had a colleague once who said, I try and coach businesses to look at a, biz, a client, not just can you get the, can you get the client contract? Because that's sometimes is the easy part, although it's hard. Yeah. It's can you work with the client? after you've gotten the contract and then after you've worked with the client can you get paid so that if you look at th things through that lens it that the bar is higher the the curve is steeper um so things like that um i think might be helpful to someone someday but it's just it's just fun to go through that exercise of thing what are the what are the key lessons that i've i've learned um what the other one was first year of business and having employees decided to keep the office open the day after thanksgiving that wasn't a very good move. Yeah, people didn't like that very <laughs> no, much. No, no. I thought, hey, you know, I'm paying payroll here, and Friday is a work day, and they got... Get back in the seats, buddy, right? Yeah. yeah. Didn't work out too well. Did yeah, it? how do you think that went? Not too good. It was a, it was a, it was a dark day. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so stuff like that that you, you just encounter and you, you make mistakes with. Some of the mistakes make you cringe, um, but that's how you learn. Yeah. For, for those who are thinking of starting a business, whether it's service-based, you know, less capital intensive or software, you know, you said you, you're not going to know everything getting started. And I think that fear, like, prevents a lot of people from getting started. They're like, well, I might get in trouble with the IRS or I might run into a situation where I, you know, make my employees upset. Like, how, how do you keep pushing forward or keep creating when there's those kind of fears ahead of you? I think, I think it's having an optimistic attitude. I think is is key. Um, not operating from a place of fear is also key. Not easy to do because as an entrepreneur and you know, you've run businesses and have businesses, there are plenty of moments where you're going, man, I hope that check comes in. Yep. You know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, so, so, but that's also kind of the fun of it is the, the roller coaster nature of it. It's not always fun, but it definitely does, it does keep you, um, it keeps you active, right? Um, so I, I think it's optimistic. I also think that there are certain people who like this stuff and certain people who don't. I mean, and, and you know, you could divide the world into lots of categories and, 
and one would be entrepreneurs and not entrepreneurs. And, and so there's, there's an element of risk to it too. Um, you, you know, so, you know, are you prone to have a little risk and to, to walk with a little bit of risk and, and live with that? Um, you know, that's, that's part of it too. So I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's kind of based on your personality makeup, but back to, you know, you are, you aren't. I was a kid who loved to start little businesses, you know, like selling golf balls. We'd jump in the ponds and get the golf balls and sell them to golfers. Um, you know, so that was a business, you know, pulling weeds, lawn mowing, that kind of thing. Um, so I think a lot of kids have this or, or they don't. Yeah. And you, so you grew up kind of in an entrepreneurial, you know, family. Your, your dad was the dean um, of, of Rollins, right? The business school, right. A business school. Um, what was the first business so that you started? Was it the golf ball business? I'm trying to think. Pro- probably, pro- yes. In, in that in that period of time, it was selling golf balls to golfers and and mowing lawns. You know, th- those were and, and those aren't wholly original businesses, but they for a kid you're like, okay, I could go do this and get twenty bucks for mowing the lawn. That's pretty good. And yeah. go on to the next one. And uh, pulling weeds, that kind of thing, was was fun, you know, to, just to see the, the see not the fruits so of your labor. Anymore, right? No, 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 no. Especially, I mean, I, it's hot. Oh my gosh, it's hot. Yeah. So if if you were, let's just say, uh, you know, as you're as you're building this business, let let's just say something happens in the marketplace and you got to start all over scratch right now, just you and me sitting around. We have some ideas going around. Like, what what would you suggest that we do? Wow. And I ask this question, let me give it some preface, is there's a lot of people who, who are listening who are just, um, they're just recovering from, you know, maybe a, a business failure or something. I've had a lot. Right. Right. So how would you approach that in your brain? I would love to hear the way you think. So I'll tell you one thing that I think a lot about is going to different cities to see what different cities have that, that the city you live in doesn't have or enough of. Um, you, you travel to a larger city um, or a smaller city. If I go to a smaller city and I think, man, they really need a X here and they don't have one. I bet you an X would do great here. They just don't have it. Um, my brother, is uh, he owns Eden's Fresh Company. So they do salads and wraps. He's got five of them here in Orlando. And I'll travel to a smaller town and think to myself, they could really use an Eden's right here. I think it would kill it. You know, like they don't have, so I think travel shows you what's working, what's not working. Especially you go overseas, you go to Europe and you see what people are buying, consuming there and would that work here? That's an, always an interesting thing to look at. So the, so what are the market voids? Mm. Um, I have a friend who um, has been a successful restaurateur, uh, bar owner, and his philosophy is very simple. He says, I just look around and figure out, like on weekends, where people are congregating. And he's like, try and f- figure out a way to put a bar there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sometimes it's, it's looking for opportunities with a product that maybe isn't your creation, but something that you could bring to a place. So that's really more along the lines of distribution or positioning, right? Placement. Yeah. Um, so I also like to look at what do people stand in line for? So this Gideon's place in Easton Market, have you been there? No. They have these incredible desserts that people stand, that the line is out the door. And you've heard of cupcake shops where yeah. this happens. So you, and that, that's, a, that's an insight into a trend, really. 
It's an insight into what are people gravitating toward and learning from that and ultimately um, what, what, could I, what could I bring to the marketplace that would leverage those kind of observations. Um, so that's not a specific business that I would start a particular place, but that's probably how I would get my arms around doing something different. Yeah, let me recap some of that because sure. that, that, was, that was from probably thousands of websites and marketing comp- or marketing things that you've done that you kind of just summed up the way you approach you know, how to serve people is you, you step outside the bubble, right? You mm-hmm. get and you look at other places, so research and development, you find mm-hmm. out what other people are doing, you find out what people are standing in line for. So these are like key indicators of how to spot a trend. Right. And then you find out like uh, what are people in other countries doing, but you're, you're, you're kind of spotting what is the next trend. Right. And then how do I get in front of that, position in front of that, get in front of that. Right. Well, and Gary Vaynerchuk has, has um, and I don't agree with everything that Gary Or how he says it. Or how he says it, right. But... <laughs> Um, one of the things he talks about doing quite a bit is he goes to the Apple App Store, the iPhone App Store, and just sees what's trending, what people are downloading, what they're using. Yeah. And that is one of his, his keys to looking at trends is what are people doing on their phones? And uh, I think if you, if you walk around, you can see these things if you're looking for them. If, you, if your eyes are open toward what's happening around you, um, then, 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 then they start to appear to you. And uh, um, Walter Isaacson wrote a biography about Leonardo da Vinci, and ultimately he boiled Leonardo down into a person that was curious. So curiosity um, is, is 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 so important in that vein. What are you curious about? What, what you know? Uh, and, and I've heard it said that intellectual curiosity is one of the most, um, one of the strongest foundations of entrepreneurs. So what are they curious about? What are they, what are they noticing? What are they digging into? Um, and if, if, you, if you walk through a day w- with your sort of curious or curiosity hat on uh, and just watch and observe and listen what's on the radio, um, you know, there's a lot there. And that's why it's good for these companies, you know, working with your marketing agency is they get an outside the bubble look at things. So someone who is paying attention in the marketplace, someone who is paying attention to the trends and all the things going in, you could bring those insights to them because they might be trapped inside their own little bubble looking at their same business over and over and over again. Yes. Or or watching behavior, you know, and, and to say that this is a, you know, we, we had a client in here earlier this week that's launching a, um, has launched a, an online um, video platform uh, called Halogen, which is pretty cool. And we were talking about the fact that when you give something away to someone, they'll take it, right? But they're not as invested in it as if they're paying for it. Right. And that, that's, that's counterintuitive, right? Because you think, well, if it's free, they must love it. They're going to love it. And that's true. We all like free things and not having to pay for things. But when you write a check for something... You are a partner in it. You're more invested. You're they have your credit card. You pay a little bit more attention. You have a you have a deeper relationship. So actually charging for things uh, raises someone's raises the ultimate value they place on what you provide to them because yeah. they're invested and they know that they're willing to pay for it. So it's 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 tricky, but but I think that kind of behavior is something interesting to throw into a client equation um, or a client conversation because it 
it ultimately maybe leads them down a different path. Very good. So this is, I, I really like how we, we've kind of talked about, you know, uh, your decisions to make, you know, a service-based company versus, you know, maybe a, a company that goes after the, the gold itself. So selling picks, shovels, and jeans versus right. actually building the software or going, you know, gold mining. Uh, we talked about that. We talked about story selling, story sell, right? Right. Uh, the books that you've written, which uh, will you include, you know, give us some of the links and we'll, yes, absolutely. we'll, we'll put that in there. Um, and then, you know, what problems do you solve? And uh, I think one of my favorite things was about the curiosity and how to, spe- how to spot a trend. Because you have a lot of insights because you've worked with how many companies do you think since, since dorm room? Hundreds. Hundreds. So, like, you know, you've, you've seen trends come and go, but you've been on the front end of it in working with great ideas. So I really like that. If you have one piece of advice, and this is going to be a fun question, <laughs> if you have one piece of advice for someone who is um, maybe they have a, uh, they've spotted a trend, what's the next best thing to do once you've identified a potential trend? Figure out how that trend relates to a paying customer and in thinking through your own personal thesis of whether they will write a check for it or give you their credit card in exchange for it. And one step further, who is likely to pay that check, to write that check? Who, who, what categories of, of an audience... Um, and we do a lot of audience profiling. We do per- develop personas of buyers. Who's the likely person to pay for that? And do they have money? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and if it's, you know, if, if you're selling to, to a certain demographic that has a lot of wealth, that's one thing. If you're selling to, to a demographic that don't, they don't have money yet in their lives or a kid who doesn't have a credit card, I mean, yeah, you have to go through that equation. I think tying the trend to, to Zuckerberg's idea of, of a problem you're trying to solve. You know, within that trend, what's the problem or what's the opportunity maybe is a better way of looking at it. And then who ultimately is going who's gonna, to who's gonna put down their credit card for that? Yeah. Who's um, going to pay the money for that? Yeah. And, and you, can, you can have really good ideas that no one will pay for. Um, my brother likes to say that, you know, on Seinfeld, Kramer's an entrepreneur. He has lots of ideas, but he never did anything. Yeah. He never did anything with them, right? He just talked about them. Um, so it, you can be an entrepreneur um, and, and, and thrive, but you can also have a lot of ideas um, that, that you don't bring to the marketplace, and that's okay. I mean, fail first, fail quickly, right? And then ultimately, you know, you find the thing that you, you, you succeed in. What question should I have asked you that I totally missed the mark on that I didn't ask you? Oh, man. What question did, did, should you have asked me? Um, you kind of stumped me with that one. Um, I always like to stump my guests. Yeah. At the, at the, at the, maybe, I don't know what I like about this all. Hey, what do you like about this all? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, if you, hopefully, like, my excitement for this stuff comes through, but I think... Um, Every day really is, this sounds, this sounds a little cliche, every day really is different. And I like the variety of this. I think my, my personality profile says I like variety. So w- w- when, when I have different challenges or opportunities through a day, so not, all, not all of it's fun. Um, a lot of it isn't fun. Um, but I think the variety is what I like about this business. You could, you could work with a, a um, software company in the morning, um, a, a hotel in the afternoon, and 
ultimately that weaves together an interesting life. It's just, it's fun to, to work with these people and have the privilege. I mean, I tell people when they, when they, it's a privilege and an honor to help them with their brand story. And because they, they really have to let you inside. And it's a, it's a, it's a, tr- it's a trusting relationship that's formed. And, and ultimately the relationships is, is what I like the most. Where can people go to find out more about you and your business? So www.findsomewinmore.com is, is a great place. Um, we're on Instagram at find some win more. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter at M Certo, M C E R T O. Um, those are all good places. And, uh, you know, we, we love being in this community. We love what you're doing and appreciate you, um, letting us be a part of it. And, uh, any way we can support you, we want to. We want to do. Yeah, well, my my audience loves it when my guests give me a bunch of money. They you love mentioned it. that before. Yeah, and I'm that, just reminding that's, you. That's one that I'm going to continue to ponder. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, you think on it for a while, all right? <laughs> so, uh, hey, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Josh. Uh, it was a lot of fun having this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, listening out in the audience. Thanks for listening in to the Orlando Entrepreneur Show. Hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I encourage you to go through the show notes and uh, click on some of the links, connect with them, uh, find the book. Uh, tell me the name of the book one more. Formulaic. Formulaic. So formula- formulaicthebook.com. Got it. And we'll put the links in the show notes, but uh, check out what they're doing. They're here in Winter Park and uh, would love to see you guys. And uh, just thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you all in the next episode. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening in on today's episode. If you would like to be a guest on the show or start a conversation with me, Josh, your host, send me an email to josh at orlandoentrepreneurs.org. You can also find out more information on Orlando's entrepreneurial ecosystem, discover resources to help you start and grow your business, and subscribe to future shows by visiting www.orlandoentrepreneurs.org.